Welcome to Right to Life, Michigan's Lifebeat podcast. I'm your host today, Grace Hemmeke, and joining me is a special guest for our pastor feature, Pastor Steve Hemmeke. Uh, pastor Hemmeke, can you tell us a little bit about you and your church? All right. Thanks, Grace. Um, Christ Church of Livingston County meets in Howell, Michigan, and we've been there for uh, about 20 years now. Our 20th anniversary is coming up, and we're uh, Presbyterian, and we are a small church. We meet in a wedding chapel, um, roughly 70 people or so on a given Sunday, um, thoroughly committed to the Christian faith and uh, living together as families, building family and church culture that's faithful to Christ. So how is your church involved in the pro-life movement? Uh, we've been supporting a crisis pregnancy center uh, nearby in the next town over for as long as we've been going. Pray for them regularly. Um, I've also heard of church members who will write letters to um, various Congress people, uh, federal or state, uh, advocating for pro-life positions when when they don't often, um, preaching on it uh, fairly often from the pulpit as well. So those are the main ways. Awesome. Um, why is it that a church should get involved in the pro-life movement, do you think? Well, it's really an extension of the gospel. Um, the it, It's a culture of life. When you... Um, when you come to Christ, when you see the world from a Christian point of view, uh, you want to preserve and foster and cultivate life wherever you find it, because we're made in God's image, and that's uh, important in Scripture, that uh, God knows us from before uh, uh, we are born, and every life is precious to Him, and we want to uh, cultivate and and foster and have that life flourish. So a lot of churches would say, or some people would say, that people seeking Jesus might be turned off by a political stance like being pro-life or advocating against abortion. What would you say about that? Well, I think I would say that in it's part of an extension of, of the gospel and how we should be living as Christians and as people generally. So if you uh, soft pedal parts of the truth just so that people aren't offended, then you're going to uh, wind up in trouble later on. Uh, you may wait for a time with certain people to, to not get to that uh, point just yet. Maybe they're not ready for it. But you don't want to soft pedal things and um, avoid the truth. You, you need to sometimes you need to confront people with the truth of what they have done wrong. Um, that's a point that's often made about the pro-life movement. Sometimes we're we're so confrontational about abortion being murder. What about the person sitting in the pew who has had an abortion? Wouldn't that offend them grossly and they would never come back and be very offended? Well, yes, that's possible. But at some point, somehow they need to be confronted with the fact that 
they have um, ended a life. And, and if they don't know that already, which they probably do, it, it can often be a very convicting thing to, for them to hear from someone else, this is what you have done, that we often need that outside jolt uh, to convict us of our sin. And that's not just for the uh, abortionist or, or the mom who's had one. That's for all of us as sinners. We all need that outside jolt sometimes to convict us of sin. That's not making abortion the great unforgivable sin. We're, we're all like that. So that's something that is needed, and the church needs to speak the truth. So how do you communicate that from the pulpit? If you're wanting to preach the truth and say that abortion is wrong, you don't want to soft pedal, and you don't want to turn people away by being too strident how do you how do you bridge that gap yeah there is a bit of a fine line there there's a balance you want to speak the truth in love as scripture says so you want to find a way to um, say truthfully what abortion is it is an ugly awful grotesque reality there but all sin is in a in a way is like that um so one way to say that in love is not to single out uh, someone who's had an abortion as being particularly awful, there, but to include them in a list of other sins. It's, there's also the sin of, of lust or of greed that leads to abortion. And those are also damaging and have awful consequences. Um, we don't, maybe we don't see it as viscerally and as physically as abortion, but spiritually it's the same situation. Sin is extremely damaging to life. So just pointing that out in general and mentioning that abortion is one of the ways in which that happens. And again, not singling out it out as an egregiously awful worse than anybody else could ever do, can't possibly forgive you for that. If, you, if you've done that, what are you doing here? You want to avoid that kind of tone and attitude with people and, and speak the truth in love and uh, emphasize that all sin is forgivable, uh, including having an abortion. Okay, I'll play devil's advocate here. Some people would say that abortion as a political topic is outside of the church's scope and sphere, that the church shouldn't be involving itself in political subjects, and that as such, the church should stay away from abortion and not talk about it. What do you think about that? Any response? Well, I think just because something is labeled political, or if, some, if an issue gets into the political sphere, that doesn't mean that the church now can no longer talk about it. You know, if there's a moral dimension to an issue, the church should speak to that. And that's exactly what's going on with abortion. Uh, abortion has become a political topic, but only because uh, it's been advocated that it be legalized. Um, and, and so the church needs to speak to that issue, whether it's labeled political or not. Um, it's true that there's 
there should be a separation of the established church from the state. That's what's often appealed to there. But there should not be an estab- there should not be a separation of uh, morality or uh, or a separation of God from the state. The state needs to follow basic principles of morality. You know, that's that's what justice is all about. We have a strong sense of justice today in the world. Um, many people are very strongly condemning uh, of certain sins according to their moral compass. And that's not entirely wrong. They're, they have a strong sense of justice. And we need to recalibrate that to what the Bible says is right and wrong. And th- that's what we need to do as a church is state what is wrong morally regarding abortion, uh, regardless of the politics of the matter, and also bring grace and uh, compassion, the compassion of Christ uh, to that situation, because grace redeems even where life has been lost. Some people would probably argue that legislating morality in a society like ours is intolerant or excludes some viewpoints or worldviews. Do you think we can legislate morality still? I mean, I would say it's inevitable. You're, you're going to legislate someone's version of morality. Um, you know, that if that's a, a more leftist version of we're going to save the spotted owl, even if it means uh, giving up a great deal of economic development, that's a certain form of morality. We, we value the life of the owl more than we do the, the jobs of those in the community. Um, and that's, I'm not meaning to bias that question one way or another, it's just an example of we're making a moral judgment there. Um, and we do that with everything. It, we do that when we say that a rapist should not be set free after two years on parole. We have a strong sense of justice that says that's not right. So we, we're seeking to legislate morality on all kinds of issues all the time. And the only reason that we don't want to do that with abortion is because there are women who are in difficult situations who think that having an abortion will uh, lighten their life load. They'll, they'll be able to get on with life. They, they, they can't possibly see a way forward if they have and keep the child. And that, that's simply a lie of the devil. That's not the case. There's a community of people who will and can help um, that mom uh, have and keep the child uh, or adopt if, if that's needed. Um, we want to, at, at a basic level, legislate the morality of preserving and defending life. And we'll work on how to um, make that happen beyond the basic illegalizing of abortion. So what do you say to that mom if you're, I don't know if you have been, but if you're confronted with one of those moms who is desperate and wants to get rid of 
her baby or maybe wants to keep her baby but can't see a way out how do you how do you approach that conversation um one way i do that as a pastor is to uh, try to point to god's providence um we're as modern people we're very much convinced that we're in control of our lives and that the plan that we have for our life is what should happen and if if something else comes into our lives that's not what we planned or expected we tend to see that as the enemy and something to fight and get rid of but when we realize that god is the the one who ordains all things when we realize that God uh, determines how our lives are going to go, Scripture says that quite clearly, uh, then we become more understanding of things that come into our lives that we don't expect. And God um, often does that with people to bring about a course correction in our lives. And that could be anything. That could be losing your job, that could be um, a car accident. It could be an unexpected pregnancy. Uh, those are all examples of the same kind of thing. And we don't, when we have a car accident, we don't kick against that so hard. Well, I guess actually we do. We don't tend to say, this cannot be the right thing for me right now. I I don't accept that this is happening. I'm going to undo it. Mm. Uh, we, I guess we often just deny the consequences. We deny um, the realization that uh, God did something here that was really meant to shake me up. And sometimes that's what God is doing with an unexpected pregnancy. So that tends to be the way I might talk to um, someone about that is... God is at work here and you think it's bad just because you didn't it didn't go the way you expected or wanted but often life doesn't go the way we want and yet it it turns out to be for the best so let's go back to what you said about legislating morality <clears throat> obviously pro-lifers can vote pro-life in election years and we can go to church and hear the pro-life message preached what can the average person who's not a legislator, just a voter, citizen of Michigan, what can they do in their day-to-day -day life to be pro-life? Uh, I guess I think of two things right off the bat. One is to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Um, that's a place where you can either simply um, distribute and hand out and organize supplies that are going to go to moms in need. You can also get involved there with uh, persuasion and wind up talking to people who are wondering and questioning or even hostile. So the average person ought to get well versed in the objections to pro the pro-life cause, uh, understand how to answer them. Um, you guys at Right to Life put out some good stuff on how to form good arguments uh, for the pro-life position. Uh, we ought to be studying that. And some people are better at articulating that than others. If that's not your gift, then, um, again, volunteering at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, um, making sure you're informed as far as your political 
situation locally, um, getting petitions organized, voting. Those are things that we can do if we're not the, the sort to articulate arguments. Uh, but we ought to all be pursuing that, especially with our extended family and friends. There's almost always someone that we know that's more on the fence or pro, pro-abortion that we ought to uh, try to talk to and reason with uh, regarding those things. For those on-the-fence people, um, or maybe for the people who say, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't want to judge, I don't want to make choices for somebody else, what do you think about that? Do you have a response to that person? Well, I read a good article in First Things recently about this. I don't recall what it was or where. I'll look that up later. Maybe we can put it in the show notes. But it was comparing um, abortion to slavery of the 1850s. And it made a very compelling case. Um, How would that sound today? Um, Or actually, look back 100 years. How would that sound 100 years ago? If, if people in the South or in the North simply said, well, I don't personally think that, that slavery is a, a good thing. It wouldn't be a choice that I would make. But I don't want to make that choice for somebody else. Mm. It, if, a, if a Southern land plantation owner insists that they have to have slaves, well, I, I better be okay with that because I don't want to judge them. For, for doing that. And the reason that analogy works is because in both cases, you are violating the human rights of the slave or of the child. It's the same situation. So that's what I would say to that objection. Uh, there are some things where the, the human rights, so much harm is done to the person that you cannot give freedom to another person to do that. And that's what's going on with slavery. That's what's going on with abortion. That's why the the pro-choice, quote-unquote, movement morally is, just falls flat on its face. You're, you're asking to have the freedom to choose to kill someone. That we, we can't allow that. What then would you say, I think the natural pro-choice objection would be, well, it's my body, it's my choice, or the baby isn't really alive yet, it's just a clump of cells. How do you respond to that as a pastor? As a pastor, I would point to the Bible, Psalm 139, which which says, um, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, Jeremiah 1 says, you knew me, knew me before I was uh, even in the womb. So there, there's personhood uh, in the womb. John the Baptist leaps in uh, Elizabeth's womb when Mary comes to visit. There, there's a rejoicing there by John in utero. So biblically and pastorally, I would point to that to say there's a person, there's a separate distinct life in the womb, and Scripture testifies to that. And I'm a pastor, but I'd also, I think, point to the science, which seems to me to be saying today, yes, that person inside of the mother's womb is not just an appendage to her body, 
but is a distinct life of its own. It's got its own DNA. It's got its own everything. So it's, it's not my body, my choice. It's not your body. And that's some, that goes back to the whole autonomy issue. Um, the modern unbelieving woman today does not want to accept that. But when, when a woman is pregnant, she's carrying a separate life that is not just part of her body, but that she needs to uh, respect and defend the life of uh, whatever cost and sacrifice that will ask of her. And, her, you know, the father ought to be bearing the responsibility for that with her. Yeah, I think our culture has done a really good job in creating this harmful idea that we can divorce pregnancy from sex and abortions played into that. I think at we're at a point where we can, <clears throat> so many pro-choice arguments are, I consented to sex, but I didn't consent to pregnancy. And because we have abortion available, people are able to make that distinction. They're able to have the one without the other. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, just that it would be inconceivable a hundred years ago to to think of having sex and not being open to pregnancy as if that could be an option. So we're in such a different situation today. And yes, that is something that needs to be dealt with. We're in the we're in a culture of death, not of life. By which I mean, uh, people are not prone to be open to and accepting of new life, entering into their life. That that's got to be on their terms at their time only. And if it's not, then just get rid of it. Mm. And that's that's not how the human race thought uh, up until 50, 60 years ago. We're now, now we do planned pregnancy. We have planned parenthood. Well, parenthood isn't always planned, and that should be okay because God brings life to us unexpectedly, and we need to be welcoming of that. Mm. A lot of people call abortion a right, and there are some groups that go so far as to call it a religious right. A little while ago, the Satanic Temple in New Mexico opened an abortion clinic and has been mailing the abortion pill to people who are willing to partake in one of their Satanic rituals that they're calling the abortion ritual. And I mean, to me, this is just antithetical to Christianity and to Christians who are pro-life. What, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, my first thought is that they're simply living out what they believe. It seems extremely repulsive and disgusting to us, but it's very natural. Um, they're simply making a religion of their belief, which is... Um, my my freedom to direct my body how I want to. That that's become a religious value and the highest one. Uh, it it really does all come back to autonomy. I can do what I want with my body. That takes us as a pastor. I got to say this. That just takes us back to the Garden of Eden. You know, God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree. 
And Satan comes and says, did God really say that? Why, why would he keep that from you? It was an, it was a, an appeal to their autonomy. You ought to be able to do what you want. You, you, you could be like God. You, you could know good and evil. It, it's the same mentality. So, yeah, in one sense it is satanic. Um, but I don't think we ought to use that as a um, sensational weapon. Just realize what's going on. The, the lie of the devil is the same as it has always been. People are wanting to be on their own, apart from God, directing their own lives with no uh, rules set from outside by some creator. But that's not how life is. We have a creator, and we need to follow his rules or things are going to go um, devastatingly wrong. Yeah, when I first heard the news about the Satanic Temple, I was I was a little shocked. And then later I thought, you know, Satan doesn't really care whether it's the Satanic Temple carrying out abortions or whether it's just a desperate mom who doesn't think she has another option. I mean, either way, the image of God is being destroyed there. That's what really stood out to me about that whole news story. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Um, Satan is, as Jim Boyce once said 50 years ago, um, Satan is perfectly happy to have a, a culture with uh, tidy lawns and white picket fences and clean homes and nuclear families that are all together as long as Jesus is not believed in. So the goal is not to have a neat and tidy culture. You can have that, but still have self-seeking, prideful people who are going after their own thing. Um, and that's that can look like a satanic temple in, where was it, New Mexico? Yeah, New Mexico. That can look, and like, Detroit. look like that. Or that can look like a nice suburban home that looks great on the outside, but it's falling apart inside because the husband and wife are just pursuing themselves, not each other. And there's a lack of love. There's a lack of pursuing love of neighbor. That That's, that's as demonic as the other. And that's something the church has to learn, that we need to uh, pursue and convict of sin the world for selfishness in all its many forms, uh, abortion being one of the more obvious. Does the Bible speak to abortion specifically, or do you have any biblical references that can be applied to abortion? We've heard a lot of legislators on both sides of the aisle cite scripture to support abortion and to oppose it. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, I've, I've heard that uh, Numbers 5 is used often to appeal to the legitimacy of abortion, that God gives a, a procedure that a woman takes a concoction, and if she's guilty, then that concoction will result in the death of the life within her. And so 
people misinterpret that to say that God is okaying abortion and wants abortion to happen. What they miss in that is that that's what happens if the woman is guilty and there's a judgment of barrenness upon her. Um, So the whole point there is that there's a punishment and the punishment is abortion. And that's something that, just to do an aside on the culture a second, that's that's what's going on in our culture right now, I think, is God is currently judging us by having people be so persuaded that abortion is needed or fine. We're, we're literally killing our own children, uh, a, a sub- substantial fraction of our next generation, are being wiped out willingly by us. So that's part of what's going on is it, to use that verse in Numbers 5, that passage, to say that God's fine with abortion is to be so judicially blind to what God is doing. It it, it boggles the mind. Um, but also, I've also mentioned Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1, where God's very clear that um, the the baby in the womb is known is knitted together by God. He he knows that person. Uh, it's not just a clump of cells. It's not potential life. It, it's not I can do whatever I want with it until it's born. No, God knows that person. So before we close, where do you see hope or redemption in our culture or in your work in your ministry or in legislation? I was talking with a friend about this on the uh, way here, and one area I see hope, and I think this will be a contended point. I think some people would take issue with this because it's hard to see, but I really think it's there. And that is, um, number one, in just the lower demand for abortion right now, that it's I don't know the statistics offhand. You would know those better than me. But I think there's a lower demand for abortion in the population today than there has been in the last 10 or 20 years. And I I have a sense that th- our message is getting through to the normal person, that the normal person out there is starting to, it's starting to dawn on them that this isn't just part of my body. This is this is a baby, and just the arguments that we've been making for the last forty years, it, it's starting to have an impact, and that's a, a, a real sign of hope. And we can look at the politics and lose a lot of hope, and that's something as a pastor I would exhort strongly the pro-life movement to watch out for. Um, if we put too much hope or gravity in the political process, we're going to be disappointed because the the pro-abort lobby is expert at getting leverage and getting things done, even though they don't have the support among the general populace to do it. We saw that with Proposal 3 in Michigan. They They twist words, they deceive, and they just say certain things to get the votes. Well, but the general person doesn't isn't really for all that. And so we see 
on average, less abortions being sought today. So don't put too much of the weight of the pro-life movement in politics. Uh, It's an important realm. We ought to pursue it. But a lot of the main work is happening. The front lines is the crisis pregnancy centers and the over-the-fence conversations that neighbors have with each other about what that is inside of you that you're wondering if you should keep. Pastor Amaki, thank you so much for your time. To all our listeners, we hope you have a wonderful week, and we will see you next week on